0: Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Well, you know, I've been away for a long time. Those of you who have been following me on Facebook know I have been engaged in one heck of a battle. Uh, Unfortunately, my cancer came back, for those of you that don't follow me on Facebook. So I'm battling a recurrence of it. I had to have some major brain surgery about three weeks ago. Uh, Just now starting to feel close to normal. And that's why I've been away for a while. So uh, I'm going to have to have some pretty intense chemotherapy and maybe a stem cell transplant down the road. But I'm still going to beat this, um, you know, trying to keep a positive attitude about it and uh, still believe in the fact that God is on my side. And I am going to MD Anderson, which is one of the best cancer hospitals in the world in Houston. So between the Lord and the best doctors out there, I am going to fight this and I am going to win So another episode here on common sense, self-reliance. And I've I've been fortunate to have some people help me lately because, you know, I've been been working. I've been battling this cancer since March. So Joe and Dave and Fighter Doc from the forum. I know you guys know Mexican Joe and Dave and also Fighter Doc, who is an Air Force doctor. And he's going to introduce himself here a little bit later on the show. They got together and they talked about Ebola. You know, we've got this Ebola scare. Now, i got to say something about this Ebola scare going on right now. Ebola is serious. And, you know, we've had this person pass away here in Dallas. We've had a nurse now come down with Ebola. Obviously, this is this is serious, serious stuff. We can't afford to have this spreading. It's my opinion that there's a lot of people that are getting real shaken up about this and they're overreacting that's what i think i think it's an overreaction don't get me wrong i'm not saying that we should take this lightly i'm just saying i think there's a lot of overreaction and you're going to hear fighter doc an air force doctor talk about that a little bit later in this uh, interview coming up these guys share a lot of really good information here a lot of very good common sense information so i think we all need to just take a deep breath Relax. I'm not impressed with the CDC. You know, I'm <laughs> just not impressed. Every time I see that guy giving a news briefing, I just kind of shake my head. I'm just uh, well, you know, it's a federal government agency for you. What can I say? It's the federal government. Um, but I'm just not impressed with the CDC and the way they're handling it. But that that's kind of all we got right now. Should you be prepared? Yeah, you should be prepared. Um, that should be something else that's on your list to prepare for. So. They're going to talk about that. They're going to, you know, Dave and Joe and um, Fighter Doc are going to talk about preparing for the Ebola outbreak. So I'm going to turn this interview on here in just a, about a minute or so. I want to say something about next episode. I think I'm going to put up another episode in two or three days. So I know it's been about a month. Now you're going to get two real quick. The reason being is I conducted another interview. That you really need to hear. I want you to hear this one first. Because it is about Ebola. And it's in the news. And it's here. And it's current. And I want you to start getting ready for it. But there's another one coming up that's going to shock you. Well, you know, for some of you it might not shock you. You know, the stink has really hit the fan. For somebody else who's been on this show interviewing with me before. And it's kind of hit him in a bad way. And you have to hear it. You have to hear it because it could happen to you. So that's the next interview. So this one, as soon as you get done listening to this one, check your feeds again in a day or two. And I think you're probably going to uh, enjoy that interview as well. So this is episode number 250. And let's, hey, by the way, isn't that amazing? 250 episodes. Thank you very much. I thank all of you who listen to this show for allowing me to do 250 episodes. Episodes. Here's Joe, Dave, and Fighter Doc.
1: Okay, uh, Super Joe and Mexican Dave. Wait, I got that wrong. Okay, it's it's Mexican Joe, Super Dave, and we got Fighter Doc on the line today. How's it going, Doc? I'm doing good. How y'all doing? Good, good. Uh, we're uh, we're going to help Bob out with another one. This one's a kind of an important one. We're going to discuss uh, the Ebola outbreak. Uh, in Doc's last interview, uh, we were going to get back to it. And then things in Doc's world ramped up, and we got on other projects, and now we think we need to get back to it. So, um, just to kind of step back for people who are listening to this as a first interview for you, Doc, um, you are Fighter Doc on, on Bob's Forum on, uh, on the Survival Podcast, Survival Show. So, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Kind of tell everybody who you are, what you do.
2: Uh, I am Fighter Doc. Uh, I'm active duty military. Uh, having said that, nothing that I'm going to say in this podcast represents official DOD policy or Air Force policy and should not be construed to uh, suggest anything along those lines, uh, standard military disclaimer. Uh, I, am, I am a physician. Uh, I've been practicing medicine for a while. I've had the chance to go some some fun and exciting places that were hot uh, and miserable. I don't ever want to go back. Um, I've had the chance to treat some, some folks who have been to places even more miserable than I have. Um, I, my specialty area of interest is uh, aerospace medicine, uh, family medicine, uh, board certified in both of those. Uh, I enjoy travel medicine. It's one of those things I really get a kick out of working with missionaries uh, and working with our special operators. is kind of one of, my, uh, one of those things that I like doing. Uh, I also take care of pilots, uh, all the air crew and all that kind of stuff, which is a really great job. Uh, unfortunately, somehow somebody heard I was doing good things, so they stuck me in a staff job. So I now work inside the D.C. Beltway. Um, Doing a lot of paperwork about medicine, but not actually doing a whole lot of medicine uh, face-to-face.
1: But I'm hoping to fix that here shortly. So so you answer a lot of emails? Yes.
2: (laughs) Uh, We we do a lot of, you know, I'm on the, the fringe of, you know, policy and medicine and politics and science. And so... You know, every once in a while, the politicians will say, hey, we think this is a good idea, and I'll say, this is a horrible idea, and they'll say, no, you don't understand, we think this is a good idea, and then I go, yes, sir, and then we try to minimize the damage. Um, I'm a big fan of having civilian control of the government, I get that, um, but sometimes it, it uh, creates some additional challenges. Let me just uh, leave it there before I get myself fired.
1: Yeah, well, we, <laughs> we, we see that, and we, we've talked about that amongst ourselves and amongst our network about how... Policymakers and politicians get in the way of the experts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, you're a doctor. I mean, unless I'm a politician and a doctor, I have no right to, you know, discredit what you have to say. And I think that's where we've started to kind of see a, a change in
2: trends. This is probably more of a political discussion. Uh, in the last, you know, 15 years or so, we've seen a lot fewer doctors, a lot fewer military folks serving. Uh, in Congress and even at the state and local levels, uh, now most of, of Congress, state, local level representation is lawyers and professional politicians. Yeah, uh, the days of the statement gone, statesman, statesperson, whatever the gender-neutral appropriate term is now, um, the person who's going to stand up and say, "Hey, this is the right thing to do. Let's do the right thing." I think is is, is fading fast. If we don't start start cleaning the house um, and bringing the doctors, the 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 work, working moms, the military person, the guy who you know, was a lifelong hunter, and he knows about conservation of the land and the species because that's what he did for a living. we got to bring those guys back into a position of authority where they can help make those decisions instead of let our decisions being made by those who have uh, dollars and special interests and bring the votes.
1: Right. Um,
2: okay, What? What? one of the big
1: things that we were here to talk about is the... I know that here a few weeks ago to a month ago, Um, they brought the doctor back from Africa who had Ebola Uh, everybody kind of freaked out I know I freaked out a little bit I'm like why are we bringing somebody who's infected back you know we have the ability to treat them someplace else even if it is on a ship you know which can be Mm -hmm. self-contained and now all of a sudden we've got a case in Dallas, Texas Um, now I'd like us to discuss this to where the Standard civilian can understand it because to us, me and Dave have discussed this heavily. Is it's NBC, nuclear, right. biological, chemical. So when we talk about how to get undressed, it's totally different than anybody can understand how to get undressed in that type of environment. Right. Uh, but I what we like, you, you yeah, what we want to do here is get you to tell us as much as you can about what what this is, uh, how it works what we can do to prevent stuff we've got some notes here we're going to you know kind of throw at you to pull a little more information out of you if we can so sure. with that you know just go ahead and take off wherever you want to
2: start so Ebola. um it is, now is not the time to panic um we should have panicked months ago I'm kidding um you know panic isn't really productive you know preparation is productive planning is productive um Action always beats reaction. So I'd like to kind of start there. You know, there's a tendency of, huh, Ebola's. And I actually had this conversation in March. We need to start paying attention to Ebola. And I was, you know, kind of patted on the head. And I was told, Hey, look, Ebola's in another continent. It's in one of those areas we'll never see it here. There have only been a handful of confirmed cases. You know, you're a silly doctor with, you know, public health experience. We don't really need your help here. Thank you. Um, And as time went on, as we learned more, we saw, hey, this has potentially even been stewing uh, since December time frame up into last year. Uh, And so there may have been kind of sporadic cases, onesies, twosies, that were not, you know, lab confirmed between December and March when we started seeing the first real ones, if you will. Um, Ebola is a virus. It's generally transmitted person to person. It has caused a handful of rare outbreaks. I'm going to put outbreaks in quotes there because it, the previous outbreaks had been, hey, four people have this rare hemorrhagic fever and they all died, and that's the end of the story. That's all we know about it. And then a couple years later, you'll get seven, and then they all die, and that's all we hear about it. You know, and it makes for great movies. I think um, there was a movie about that. Help me out here. Outbreak? Outbreak, right? Outbreak yeah. Dustin Hoffman, excellent movie. Uh, and the, the solution, of course, was to firebomb the whole thing, and then, you know, the government covers it up and it never happened. Right. Which, you know, there's times I support that. Um, but when you start getting to hundreds of people, and now they're, they're, the numbers are starting to get gerbil now because we've got potentially 3,000 lab-confirmed cases that have died. Um, and because the countries that are experiencing this, West African countries with a poor infrastructure, uh, a lot of distrust, a lot of corruption, a lot of political gain to be had from minimizing the situation, It's hard to trust the numbers. Uh, WHO comes in to help, but again, when you start bringing in political bodies to deal with the medical situations, things start to get squirreling. It's hard to know what the real situation on the ground is. Okay, i got a question for you. Let me me hold you up right there, because
1: this kind of leads into something that we've... we've... Okay, we sent... uh, The President sent a bunch of troops to Africa. Now, initially... We, being not the far right or the far left, we're, we, we kind of balance things. You know, people are like, why, why are they sending troops to Africa for Ebola? Well, you can't shoot Ebola. I'm like, in our eyes, I mean, we don't know this. And maybe you could tell us and maybe you can enlighten us a little bit. We don't think they were actually combat-style troops. We think they were more medical people, logistical people. Of course, I'm sure you have some MPs and some security people what what would you think and I know that these you know were not necessarily Air Force people, these were probably more army people. What's, what's your feeling on that? What do you what do you think the the thinking was on that or the purpose? I think you guys nailed it. We we start to think we're sitting in the military,
2: we're thinking, you know, tanks and bombs, um, you know, a la outbreak let's you know, put everyone together in the village and just you know, burn into smithereens and they borrow it ever happening. That's not really who we're sending. Um, we have several, we call them contingency response groups. Uh, those are the guys that went down to Haiti. Those are the guys who, who have gone to, uh, you know, the mudslides in Iran and the earthquakes in Pakistan. And we've got guys, and I'm a family medicine doc, you know, with a handful of other certifications, and I'm in the military. You know, we've got guys, I, uh, two cubicles over, I work with the entire group of the you know, immunologists, the health specialists, the public health specialists, and they kind of help coordinate who's going where to deal with this big next thing that's happening. So we're going to send um, the Air Force is obviously going to be involved because we can be anywhere in the world within 24 hours, um, and we can. President says go. We we our bags are already packed. We don't have to pack our bags. We grab our pre-packed bags. We're in a C-17 by you know 12 hours and we're in country X really, really fast, depending on where country X is. And so we've got these, these global reach laydown teams. We've got these emergency response teams that have you know embedded security because that's kind of a big deal over there in a country that's as unstable as it is. And we've got preventive health technicians, uh, specialists. We've got docs. We've got nurses. Uh, the big issue over there is not necessarily that they need physicians. It's that they need places to put people who are sick they need IV hydration they need supportive care and that's that basic level of public health infrastructure that's lacking that we can show up and drop in a tent. you know by the end of 24 hours and by the end of three days we can have field operating hospitals there not necessarily to do surgery in this case that's what we did in Haiti we showed up with our surgical teams and we were helping with amputations and crush injuries and that kind of stuff in days and so in My impression is in this West Africa situation, we're showing up with more of a public health, education, you know, clean food and water, clean blankets, clean places to to take care of folks on a supportive level, um, and if necessary, transport people to hospitals. Transportation over there is starting to break down, and the ability to get people to those limited hospitals with those limited resource hospitals, um, when that starts breaking down, you've got people, you know, with bloody diarrhea in the back of a taxi sharing with the next guy who's trying to get to the hospital and that's just a bad setup. So we're bringing a lot of capability on the medical side um, and we dress like G.I. Joe because that's kind of what we pretend we all are. But when we get there, we're there with stethoscopes and syringes and not necessarily uh, M16s.
1: Yeah, see that's what I kind of told people was what people don't understand is what's happening behind the scenes. You get, even if you just say that we're sending doctors and nurses over um, the logistics in that it goes beyond the doctor and the nurse it's very similar to the fighting soldier in the field okay. for, every, for every doc or nurse that's in the field or fighting soldier in the field there's four people behind them supporting them if not more because right. they have to have food, they have to have water, they have to have housing, they need resupply you know this stuff has to be trucked in flown in, whatever it has got to be done, these guys get off a of shift, they've got to be able to come in eat, shower, get clean mm-hmm. so then therefore we don't have internal problems so I don't think people really understand that for every person on the ground there's three or four behind them supporting them
2: absolutely it's, we've got guys with the equipment with the gasoline with the trucks with the the we're probably bringing small surgical setup stuff but most of this is public health infrastructure stuff we've got more public health techs working there on clean food clean water clean sheets clean place to sleep hey it starts sounding like a prepper, uh, prepper video here yeah. you know Basic survival stuff is what they need over there. And so I don't have the numbers in front of me. A handful of dots. Most of the folks who are going are the support guys who are are going to help um, sit alongside the, the local host nation and try to help build that infrastructure where they can. And a handful of the folks are going to be advisors sitting next to the local government and saying, hey, this is what we think the next step should be. This is how to effectively do a quarantine without shooting everybody that tries to leave the city. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. Okay, so, yeah. People get nervous when you say, quarantine, nobody can leave your houses, you know, and then when you don't enforce a quarantine, you risk having a guy leave Liberia who was just taking care of a sick family member, showing up in the middle of, oh, I don't know, downtown Dallas. Yeah yeah that could
1: happen right well but see that's and that's one that's one that we've actually had a conversation here with is that if you if you're going to be in total panic mode and you're going to be freaked out and you're going to be worried about this and let's say that this does because now we have a guy that came through came through came into the United States ended up getting all the way to the center of the United States who knows how many people this guy has touched Perfect. you know or, or yeah I've been in physical contact with and you can tell us whether that is or isn't a problem, but if for every one or two people that he, you know, has touched, let's say it's 3% of the people he's touched could be infected. Now those people continue through the airport and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. I, think, I think as of this morning
3: there was like 18 people that they were watching uh, because he wasn't <clears throat> he wasn't symptomatic uh, while he was on the airplane. The news keeps saying that. Uh, right. But now there's like five kids, and I mean they're disinfecting schools, and I haven't I haven't caught up with it this evening. Uh, it <clears throat> kind of makes us a little nervous. This is really in our backyard. Absolutely. You
2: know honest, some of that's probably overkill. Um, but is better it, safe than sorry, right? When it comes to stuff like this, I'm okay with overkill. Because um, you only have to die once before it becomes pretty serious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, United Airlines is still trying to track down Everyone on those flights And you would think with you know, all the screening We have to go through to get on the plane They would know everything about us already um, right. Just look you know, at my pictures on your scattergraph um, And that guy That checked my PSA twice I'm not sure what he was up to but, you know, When you go through that process You would think that they would be Really easily to come up with a list of names And contact information um, and call these people, and what they should be doing is a quick call and say, Hey, you are on a flight with a potentially infected person. If you have the following symptoms, seek emergency medical care and tell them this kind of thing. Um, and that's totally fine. We do that all the time for the, you know, the longer that flu is extremely drug resistant TB. This is a, a pretty regular thing, and I'm honestly more worried about TB on a plane than I am about Ebola, especially an asymptomatic Ebola patient. Um, when you don't have the, the runny nose and the sneezing and the coughing and the bloody diarrhea and the bleeding from your eyeballs and the other dramatic symptoms that sometimes happen with it you don't have to worry about you know I'm not worried about his blood getting on me if he's not bleeding if all of his blood and spit stays inside of him he's not a threat to me um the thing with Ebola is it's fairly hard to transmit but once you transmit it's got a very high case fatality rate and that's why people are nervous about it and appropriately so um walking by and shaking this guy's hand assuming he wasn't bleeding out of his hand and i didn't have open sores on my hand probably absolutely okay but if i'm sitting next to a guy who's coughing and sneezing for an hour in a plane where i can't go anywhere it doesn't matter what he's got i need to be concerned
1: okay you just answered two questions there that was one of the ones people have been asking me and i'm not a medical professional i'm CPR certified, you know, military first aid, that kind of stuff. And I've just said, hey, if you want to, and this, again, goes back to the quarantine, if you want to be totally freaked out about it, self-quarantine. Absolutely. Quarantine yourself, you know, stay in your house. And this goes back to being a prepper is, mm-hmm. you know, have the medical, have the, have the supplies to her. You don't have to go buy. And it's basically, I don't want to mm-hmm. go out to a grocery store or Walmart where all these sick people are at. You know, have That's everything safe. you need. Just don't go anywhere
3: well you know here's here's another concern i have fighter doc is is that, you know this guy went to the er Mm -hmm. and they gave him antibiotics and sent him home the first go around okay you and i both know when you're traveling in the city you're going to stop by the local convenience store you're going to go put gas in your car when you're feeling good or not Mm -hmm. okay you're going to go up there you're going to go to the store go get some aspirin you're gonna handle that you're gonna handle either cash or you're gonna handle a debit card, you're gonna to touch a keypad, okay? If you've been coughing into your hand, all right, let's say you're you expelling a little bit of mucus, or, you know, whatever the case may be. The next person that comes along and handles that handles that, that keypad for instance, or gasoline pump. Is now and in, in reach up, rubs her eyes or something. I mean, you know, are we looking at a transmission ratio of this of this virus to where it, it, you know, that could be a possibility. And that's the tricky part about medicine. It's totally
2: possible. Um, the keypad to eyeball scenario. The gasoline pump to you know. Oh, I just need to pull out a dollar bill. Let me lick my thumb real quick because these two are sticking together. Is it possible? Yes. Is it. Likely, not really. Um, but this this virus is different. And one of the one of the cool slash scary things about it is we found the virus living in secretions from people weeks after they have left the person. So when people say we need to treat Ebola like we treat HIV, you know, as long as we're not passing blood and body fluids between each other regularly, we're probably not going to get sick. Well, the difference is when HIV virus leaves the body, it dies really quickly. Ebola lasts outside the body. It's a little more fastidious. And in certain body fluids, they've actually documented 21 days of, of viral pathogenicity, which is downright scary. But that tends to be the um, the grosser body fluids. You know, the bloody diarrhea, the blood-soaked rags, the semen, um, those things are going to be more likely to carry the virus longer. Than a somebody... mucus. What's that? Than a mucus. Right. So somebody sneezes on me. I'm not happy about it. I washed my hands, I washed my face, I punched the guy in the face. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where we were going, yeah. We were like, you know, you... high-five and, and, you know, go get something to drink. But the, just the, the pathogenicity, That or I guess technically it's the virulence. There's some medical terms that describe one or the other. This one doesn't spread easily, but if you get it, it's potentially bad news. Now, there's, there's a caveat to that. Part of the reason that the death rate is so high is the place that these people are getting sick. It's a third they, world country. Right. It's, it's, we call them developing countries now because we're more politically correct, and I, I get reminded on that on a regular basis. Um, I have to be nicer sort to of people who are living in third world countries who don't even hear me. Um, they're living in mud huts in some cases. In some cases, they don't use mud. In some cases, they use dried uh, cow feces to make their houses. Um, and when they have bloody diarrhea, It may be three hours for them to get to a community medical center, which may have a a nurse, if it's a good one, but more than likely has a community-trained individual who can say, you're sick, drink water, go home. Um, If they're very lucky, they may be able to get to see a doctor. Now, that doctor's treatment options include fluids, rest, some food. You know, we don't have a whole lot of options to treat these kinds of things. They don't have you know, biodefense labs in the, the mountains of Liberia and they just don't. And so, when you tell me their death rate is, you know, 50%, give or take, in most places, I go, well, that sort of makes sense. They're dying, you know, they're they're dying in childbirth at rates that aren't even close to what they are in America. They're dying from car accidents over there, you know, at rates that we don't die from over there. Uh, you know, so it's it's not really a fair comparison. So what the real death rate would be in a country like America while all the systems are working appropriately, which is a huge caveat, is, is probably a, apples to I don't know pork chops. It's a comparison you can make, but it's not really a fair comparison. Okay, and, and based
1: and based on that, um, like you said, we, we've got the we've got the doctor that came back. Hang on, I'm getting feedback here. We have got the doctor that came back from uh, being over there, and he's fine. He no longer has Ebola. Right. We've actually had three cases that came
2: back. Um, two of them went down to uh, CDC in Atlanta, the doctor, and I think she was a nurse that was working with them. Uh, very aggressively treated, uh, potentially more mild cases anyway, because they were healthy when they started. There's another prep piece right there that we should probably pay attention to. So they were healthy when they started. They got back as soon as they could. They sought treatment as soon as they could. Aggressive therapy. They even did some of the investigational therapies. Um, and they did fine. The third case that came back, unless they ended up in Montana, um, also seems to be doing fine. You know, so when we treat them aggressively, we treat them early. They start off healthier to begin with. They're not malnourished. They're not dehydrated. They're not diabetic, infected with AIDS, et cetera, et cetera. We have a better protoplasm to start with, and they tend to do better. Okay, so
1: one of the things that I had on my list that you, that you hit on was... Get get your immune system up now. Yes. I mean, like right now we're we're in the we're in the winter's coming season, and everybody's got bronchitis and all this. Yep. Do not jack around. Get that shucked off. I mean, I know that you know we use doctors where we can. I'm a big thieves oil fan. You know, with essential oils. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just that was that was kind of one of my things that I've been telling people is get your immune system up now. We don't have the problems they've got there again being from a third world country, and we're not politically correct, so we can say that. You guys can get away with that, yeah. So, I mean, do you? I mean, so, so you hit on that was get keep your immune system up, don't jack around right now with this running around,
2: stay healthy. And I would say now is the time to get medically prepared, and to some extent, that means make sure you've got a stock of this and a stock of that, but more importantly, it means. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. If you haven't seen the doctor for your regular checkup in 10 years, you know, hey, if you need blood pressure taken care of, take care of your blood pressure. If you need your cholesterol taken care of, look at taking care of your cholesterol. If your diabetes is raging out of control, take care of that. Because when you start adding those three things together, you start really affecting your, your, your quality of life, your ability to function, um, and your body's immune system. Um, and then the medications we put on top of those things make it worse sometimes. They might help prolong your life. They may not improve your quality of life in the short term. And sometimes, and I'm just going to be honest, sometimes the answer is we need to lose that 20 or 30 pounds that we're carrying around the middle. And making those preparations now um, will help us if something happens and this Ebola case turns into a 1,000 cases in Dallas. If we've got 1,000 cases in Dallas, I can tell you hospitals everywhere are going to be full of people who are worried but not sick. And they're going to be saying, "Test me for this because I sneezed yesterday." Well, now, in most situations, if you show up saying, "Hey, I need a refill of my cholesterol medicine," you get to go to the back of the line in the ER while other people are taking turns coughing and sneezing in your face. Yeah,
1: well, see, to me, to me, I mean, I, I, that's one of the preps that I, I teach. And Absolutely. One, one is, um, if at all possible, stay out of the hospital. They're full of sick yes. people. Yes. They're, they're full of sick people. Yes. You know, so the people I go die. Yeah, I go see my doctor and. I, you know, work work around Obamacare as much as I can. Yep. And what I do is I go in and I see my doctor, and my doctor is really cool. And I tell you know she's like, oh, here's your thyroid medicine, here's this, here's that. And I said, can you write me that prescription for one year, please? There you go. And what she does is she writes it for the entire year. And I, she calls it in, and I go down, and I they give, I go to my local grocery store, and uh, they fill it for ninety days. Mm-hmm. I call back a week later and I ask for a refill. Yep. And I go back down and I get another 90 days. So in the matter of, you know, six, eight weeks, I've got a year's worth of medicine.
2: And that's the right way to do it. If you show up to your doctor and you say, Doctor, I'm concerned about the end of the world, zombie apocalypse, cats and dogs, <laughs> together, I need a year supply of my medicine now, They're gonna ask you some more questions. Yeah. Um, put it nicely. But if you say hey, is there any chance I can get this full for a year? My numbers have been stable. We're heading in the right direction. You know, I think most good docs who are under the thumb of Obamacare would absolutely write that prescription for a generic medication. Yep. Some medications, they need to be on brand, and I get that. But most of them generic medication. Go pick it up at Walmart, Kmart, your local grocery store, handful of bucks, and you're stocked up easy peasy.
1: Now, one of the things I did find was that insurance does not like you to do that. Right. But guess what? If you tell the pharmacist, ask the pharmacist, what if I pay cash? Yep. And at one time I lost my insurance, and you know what I found out? I paid less cash than I would have with insurance. Absolutely. Because the insurance company's got to make their little buck on it. So Mm -hmm. now I don't do any medication. I think there's a cholesterol medication they want me on, but I refuse to pay for it. Yep. But it's it's just astronomical. But yeah, I mean... I think one of mine, Obamacare, took out of being a generic, and they made it back to being the name brand or whatever, or on the other chart. So instead of paying $10 for for three months, I pay $30 for three months. You know what? I'm really not complaining.
2: Yeah. So. No, I agree, and I think that's the right answer. And if you talk to the pharmacist and they're like, hey, look, I can't refill them all asking about mail order options yeah certain companies will mail it no kidding to your doorstep for cheaper than you would be paying in the pharmacy and the, the companies will gladly do that because that saves them time effort energy uh, and it's easy for everybody and then you've got it already prepackaged in a box keep it in a dry cool location keep it you know sealed before you until you need it kind of thing and that medication lasts last a long time
1: there you go so stay healthy get, get get checked out don't rush in right now and say I cough right um more farther into prep into into preparation um i've got some kind of some little uh, notes here PP, okay. PPE, personal yes. protective equipment now me and Dave both work in environments where we have to wear safety glasses at times we have to wear uh rubber surgical style gloves um we may have to wear masks of some sort um Go into that a little bit. I mean, we're already wearing safety glasses. We're wearing gloves. I mean, I, I kind of bring this up because I just bought 100 pairs of gloves for $7 on Amazon. There you go. Um, N95 masks. You get them on Amazon. They were like 10 bucks, I think. I mean, when we're getting the PPE, we also have to wear long sleeve shirts at times. Right. Uh, you know, go into that a little bit and, and you know, tell us, you know, what if this gets bad I mean to me that's the Japanese have been doing it for years yep so I think one of the key things is
2: God gave us the best PPE we can ask for we've got an intact skin um, and that's the best barrier to all of this stuff so if you've got cuts and scrapes on, especially on your hands and you're, you're working with your hands you're working with people find the cuts and scrapes take care of those right away don't let the sores last you know uh, bandage them up you know keep them clean keep them dry you know, take care of the, the open cuts early. Don't let them linger, because that's a that's a shortcut right past your your main immune system right there. Your personal protective equipment that God gave you is your skin. Um, the next, step, I always travel with with nitrile gloves, and I can probably get away with it I'm a doc. And if you want to a doc, people might think you're weird. But <laughs> in, you know, I've got several. Uh, I've got little medical kits that don't look too crazy. But they're full of stuff that's got the nitrile gloves updated. You know, when when you buy the $3 kit from Walmart, it's got the cheap rubber gloves, and that's a good start. Um, When you get the chance, check out Walmart. They sell nitrile gloves. I like the black ones because they make me feel cool. Um, Put it in a Ziploc bag. And don't just put one set. Have one set for you. Have one set for the person who's going to help you, whoever that person may be. Um, I plan on it being my wife, but it might be... Hey, I run across a car accident, and this guy here is standing there with a the cell phone. Dude, here's some gloves. You get to help me. Um, hey, this guy's barking up blood. I'm going to put on my gloves. I'm going to hand the brave soul next to me a pair of gloves and say, you need to help me. So I always have at least two sets, regardless of where I go. If I'm flying, if I'm driving, in my carts, and I've got one in both of my cars. I've got them in every you know, little medical kit that I've got. The pair of gloves is huge, and the reason for that is, We're people and we use our hands a lot. And that's why I focus on the cuts on the hands, the gloves on the hands. That's going to be the most bang for your buck. You know, if I had to do a surgery, um, if I had to do an appendectomy in the middle of Africa and I get one piece of PPE, I want my gloves. And that's just, that's what I'm using. That's what's in contact with things. That's what has to be protected. Um, In cases where I'm really concerned and I, I don't have help, I'm putting both sets of gloves on myself, just an extra barrier. Double gloving is... Um, well, well to potentially reduce uh, by an order of magnitude any risk of infection. Right. Um, the next thing up is, is the mask. So if I get, you know, hey, you can have two things. Okay, I'm going to take a glove and a mask. Mask is going to be next. And I might be kind of cheating on eye protection because I wear glasses because I'm a nerd and that is my, my free set of eye pro that I, I have on me at all times. Um, uh, masks are, uh, like you said, the Japanese and a lot of Asian countries. When I was in Singapore... Uh, When you're out driving, people will wear the regular surgical masks, uh, and they'll wear them everywhere. And they're okay for smog and dust and that kind of stuff. Um, They're actually pretty decent for a lot of the stuff that's going around now. There's a resurgence of TB, tuberculosis in the States. The surgical mask is probably fine for that. The enterovirus D68 is going around, and that's another kind of large droplet kind of thing where if you've got your basic surgical mask, you'll probably be fine. Um, and to be honest, if it's Ebola and somebody sneezes in your face and you've got a surgical mask on, you'll probably be fine as long as you don't need the surgical mask afterwards. Now, this okay. is an N95 mask and better? No, N95 is absolutely better. Um, surgical mask will get the job done, but that's not a risk I'm comfortable taking when we start talking about Ebola. You're probably fine. The science of it says, yeah, you're probably fine with the surgical mask. I wouldn't prolong exposure with a basic surgical mask, you know. But if I've got a choice of surgical mask or N95, I'm taking N95. Now, there's a bunch of N95 masks out there. Uh, personally, I like the 3M 3Mike. Uh, uh, that company makes a lot of them. They yeah. do really well. Uh, they, they check their stuff very well. I've actually got a
1: box sitting right here. I just picked them up uh, from Amazon. Yeah, it was it was, was they were 3M. It, it's I guess it's the model number is an 8000. And, of course, it's got to be in French. <clears throat>
3: turn the box. There you go. There there you turn the box around to the English <laughs> side.
1: It's a particle respirator, and it says it says 3M, and it says N95 all over it. N-I-O-S-H-N95. Yep. And, and there's 30 of these things. These with 30 masks, and they can't be $10 for the box. So, of course, me being the freak that I am, I ordered four boxes. You know, I ordered five five packs of glove five pack. Let's see the gloves. What were they? The gloves were a hundred of them each. A hundred a hundred gloves for seven dollars. Um, and here's something that I found that somebody gave me because we were talking about it. And this is something I hadn't heard of. And I recently got recertified for CPR, the new CPR because there was a new CPR. Yeah. And, and it was a five pack of Masks to give CPR, and it goes on a one by one keychain. Yep. And these are these, and and I was told do not unpack this thing. And it's a one by one little keychain, and you pull it out, it sits on your keys, and it's in a little canvas bag. A five pack of these masks, so you can do CPR on somebody or give them breaths. And it's got a it's got a one way valve in it. Five of these things for twelve dollars nice and i'm like okay everybody that i know that has that that cpr certified everybody needs one of these you know so of course i bought five packs of five because i'm a freak like that but to me this is this is just the way to go in my car um and it's, it's
2: it's easy it's small um it's portable um you hit it on a couple points there. NIOSH, uh, N-I-O-S-H, is the Occupational National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. I want to say so that's more. There's a handful of um, masks out there that are N95. NIOSH is one that certifies them for uh, for use in an occupational setting. For example, I do sandblasting, I do bead blasting, I do sanding on a on a regular basis. The N95 um, will stop 95% of particulates, on average, 0.3 microns in size. So this is great for all of that stuff. If you pay more, you can get the FDA-approved mask, um, which does the exact same thing. So the NIOSH ones tend to be a little bit cheaper than the, than the surgical-grade N95s, and that's just something to consider. If it's, if it's NIOSH or FDA-certified N95, you're okay something to consider. A lot of the NIOSH ones have an exhalation valve on them, um, and that just makes breathing easier. So yeah. if, you're, if you're concerned about, I have something and I don't want it to give it to somebody, like say I've got Ebola and I want to share it with you guys, the exhalation valve allows unfiltered air out. But it, it filters the air on the way in, but not on the way out. So if I've got the disease, I need to make sure that my mask does not have an exhalation valve.
1: Okay, so... Okay, and and I and I understand that. And the ones I have, I, I when I looked at the when I ordered them, I think I got both. And so far the shipments come in, they don't have a valve. Now, go. here's my question: In your opinion, would it be better to get the NIOSH or the FDA's? Doesn't matter. Okay. It's complete wash. Whichever is cheaper. Um, from a reputable
2: company. One of the keys with the N95s is you want to make sure you have got a good tight seal on them. You know, the surgical masks are cheap and they're flat. Um, And they kind of have bunches, and you can feel the air go past your cheeks when you breathe out. The NIOSH um, or the FDA-approved N95 masks, you should not feel a whole lot of airflow. The downside when you don't have a lot of that airflow is it's going to get, when you're wearing these things for hours on end, which is a ton of fun, you're going to get buildup of condensation inside the mask. When the mask starts to get wet, it's not as effective at filtering. So when you start to feel especially if you're sweaty, you know, you're in, you know, no kidding Africa, it's Africa hot, you're sweating, you have got the condensation, <laughs> you've been there for an hour, you're going to want to change out your masks to keep them dry to improve their filtering rates. Okay, next a gas mask. Yeah, see race. now that was
1: something Dave just brought up here was that we're no longer in the military, so we don't shave. There you go. So, okay. we we're, we're we're kind of scruffy, we're not we're not, you know, we're not uh, we're not duck dynasty. Yeah, we're not duck dynasty, but but we are. But, but you know, we're scruffy, you know, from day to day. So, I mean, in, in a bad scenario, would, would we want to shave and get try to get a good seal, or does the N95? I don't think it really matters with that mask. Well,
2: the N95 has got to get a good seal. Okay. Uh, otherwise, you've got air pockets coming in between the beard hairs. So, day to day ops, uh, and this is one of the reasons that the military says that we have to shave. Um, and this is one of the reasons why the military, for a long time, fought religious, religious exemptions to, to facial hair, was if you've got to put that gas mask on, if you don't get a seal, mustard gas doesn't care what your religion is; it's coming through. Right, you right, know? and well, and that
1: was in the army because me and Dave were both army, and I had, the, I had, I had the, the freaky uh, almost a Hitler mustache, because <laughs> where where the where the line leaves the nose and goes to the corner of the mouth, yep, the mustache could not protrude across that,
2: yep. That's still the standard. Yeah, so if I don't
1: have the Pepe Le Pew, then I got the Hitler mustache. So... Either one's loose. Yeah, and, and, and I understood the theory in it. So, but yeah, the, huh? the, the gas mask did have to seal.
2: And I would say that's, that's still the, the, the rule for me personally. Um, when I'm not... When my boss isn't around, I don't shave. Um, you can let it grow out because that's just the way I'm wired. But if I'm in Africa... Or if I'm in a country that's got endemic disease, I'm clean-shaven, I'm
1: making sure I don't have any cuts on my face, and I'm wearing the N95, and I'm double-checking my seal to make sure I've got a good one. Man, if you send me to Africa, I'm shaving my butt. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so, so you know, if, if, if push comes to shove and this gets hot, of course, we want everybody to get the N95 masks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, of course, we can be tactical cool and get the black gloves. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's all good, but yeah. So that was one of the questions we had about shaving because we're just we're we're antisocial like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's
2: totally risk you know benefit. You know, if you if you guys in your compound with the moat and the gators and all that kind of stuff, and nobody gets near you, no reason to shave,
1: no reason to wear a mask. Yeah, see, I like you know, I figure that if you know if a push comes to shove and this thing goes you know really bad, I'm gonna keep everybody at the other side of a 45 ACP and I'll be good.
2: There you go. Keep your distance, because Ebola's got to get close. Yeah. Now, and just real quick on the rest of the masks, they do also make an N99 and an N100. They cost more. They filter slightly better. It goes from 95 to 99 to 99.7% of filtration at the 0.3 microns. Uh, But bang for the buck, N95 is the way to go. They, there are some other masks out there on the market, and I want to say there are R95, R99, and um, R100s, and those are ones that are going to be oil resistant. So, N95 stands for the N is not oil resistant. So, if you get gun oil, if you get, you know, you've been sweating and facial, facial grease is getting all over it, you know, it's not oil resistant, and when they get oiled up, they're, they're going to let stuff through. So, N99s, N100s, i am not wasting my money on it, even with Ebola.
1: Uh, n 95, I think, is, is the way to go. Well, and I also saw some today that actually, it was a... Of course, the 3Ms are are a hard are more of a cup-style mask, and right. I saw some today that were more of a soft wrap mask that kind of mm-hmm. went across the ears or whatever, but they had, a, a like, a plexiglass or a plastic face shield that went up. Yep. So I thought, well, those were cool, too. You know, if you've got to actually be in the area where you're treating with somebody, so...
2: Right, and I'll be honest, when it comes to, like, when we did surgery on HIV-positive or hepatitis C cases, I would do one of those. Um, they make them with, with a duck bill, kind of a duck bill face um, with, the, with the glass shield, or not glass, but plexiglass kind of uh, piece of plastic that sticks up in front of your face. And that was just an extra layer of protection for a piece of plexiglass to catch blood before it gets to my glasses because I don't want anything getting in my eyes because that's, that's an open route directly to my brain and I'm just not interested in, in having Ebola in my brain.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, come on, you're going to blow away all that college education. That's right. <laughs> um, now, here's a question. I mean, <clears throat> we're just kind of throwing stuff out there. Bleach and alcohol for disinfecting uh, for possible contact areas. What's your thought process on that?
2: Yeah, we know bleach works well for Ebola, um, and alcohol should work well. The studies aren't as robust as the bleach ones are, uh, but either one of those should be fine. Um, and I'm saying should we find it? because, honestly, this is one of those diseases that we still don't have a whole lot of data on. Um, so the mad scientists in our country are going, sweet, we finally have enough cases where we can start to get good data. Let's see how bad this gets. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Guys like me are saying, let's bleach it and alcohol it and set it on fire, uh, and then we'll see what we did overkill. Again, I'm, I'm pro-overkill on this one to some extent. One of the things that we found is with uh, there's a bacteria out there called Clostridium difficile causes horrible colitis, you know, diarrhea. It's, it's no fun for anybody. What we found is we were cleaning the rooms with alcohol um, because that was cheap and that's what killed everything else we thought. And what we found is that alcohol was actually ca- causing C. diff to sporulate and protect itself. And so it was actually living longer when we hit it with alcohol. So just something else to terrify people. Uh, bleach seems to work just fine. You know, obviously diluted, don't hurt yourself. Uh, alcohol seems to work fine at this point. Um, But honestly, soap and water is money You know, when it comes to your hands and your face Soap and water, uh, don't bleach your face Uh, But when it comes to surfaces Soap and water, great Alcohol, great, bleach probably better
1: Okay Yeah, Yeah, we're looking kind of at disinfecting stuff Mm -hmm. You know, and again, you know We've always been big fans Mm -hmm. of uh, Dawn dishwashing soap uh, The blue I mean, we've got Of course, we live out here in northeast Texas And we've got boys that lube up their whole arm and stick it up in a cow and pull a calf out, and that's yeah, what they're using because yep. of the disinfecting purposes. Yeah, that's, that stuff works great. Okay. You know, they were going overkill by, I don't know if you saw, where the uh, the umbrella
2: case, he was down and he went and visited some folks that went to the school, so the school was shutting down and the janitors were you know torch in the place or whatever. They were probably using combinations of standard household cleaners. Um, and that's probably fine it's probably overkill the kids who were in the school uh, didn't have a significant enough exposure based off of you know open source if I can read online kind of thing so I'm not too concerned about the school but they were just using standard stuff I don't think we need to get too crazy with with fancy new chemicals you know standard soap standard bleach standard uh,
1: alcohol okay um so where are you at with like handshaking hugging personal contact i mean i know that i know that in the business world we're always shaking hands and Mm -hmm. out here in east texas everybody's you know shaking hands and meeting and greeting but if this thing does start to get out there a little bit i'm kind of thinking just hey dude how's it going fist bump (laughs) even not even a fist bump i mean what are are your thoughts on where where are we going with this where
2: could this go the, the tricky thing right now is we've got a couple of outbreaks that are going on at the same time. Um, Ebola. I'm not afraid of handshaking. If you've got blood coming from your eyes and from your face and you know from your backside and I can see it, you shouldn't be shaking my hand. You should be in a hospital. You know, we'll hug it out when you're better, um, a lot better for a long period of time. There's also the uh, the enterovirus, the D68 that's going around now. It's hospitalizing, paralyzing kids. It's even killed a couple of them now. Uh, it's another respiratory virus. That one is going to spread much more readily by a handshake, uh, and even by a fist bump. <clears throat> you know? um, and everyone's telling us we're supposed to be coughing and sneezing into our elbows or to a handkerchief. So now I'm, you know, we used to do elbow bumps because we were concerned about fist bumps. So we would kind of bump elbows and call it a day. But I'm concerned about bumping elbows because the CDC is telling everyone to sneeze into their elbow. So, yeah, when, you, when somebody is sick, they're sneezing, they've got that look like they're not feeling good, Away from... The recommendation is 3 meters uh, to be on the safe side, uh, which I think is like 9 feet in American. Yeah, um, it's ten, yeah,
1: it's ten, it's, it's 10 feet American, but yeah, the conversion sucks.
2: <laughs> Way from a distance, you know, and if, if folks give you a look, hey, I want to shake your hand, just go, hey, look, I'm sorry, I'm concerned about getting sick. Or if they're getting too close and you're chilly, tell them you're sick. Yeah, tell them you're sick, yeah. And then suddenly you'll get all kinds of space. It works out great. Yeah. So is that so a, right hand, I'm still handshaking shaking at church. There was a guy last week who had a cold,
3: and he just, you know, we fist bumped and called it a day. You know, but the church has Purell everywhere, so it works out. Right.
2: Take the hand and Purell right away.
3: Right. Well, my, uh, now that, uh, I just saw a little bit on that virus with the kids. Is that strictly being transmitted with kids? I mean, are adults getting that, or what's the story with that one? So, that
2: one's been popping up, and we see it every once in a while. It was the first picked up, I think, in California in the 60s, um, just like everything else was picked up in California in the 60s, um, and what we're seeing is it's, it's a respiratory virus, it, it has these little outbreaks every so many years, it tends to be a minor thing that we don't even usually test for, the issue is we started having people that were really sick, ICU, getting ECMO, uh, that's the, where their blood is getting transfused basically continuously outside of their body kind of stuff, so they're going through some high-end stuff, and they are at big fancy hospitals. Uh, And they said, let's test because something weird is going on here. And they were getting small clusters of them. Um, And they said, hey, this is, you know, B68. It's not usually that big of a deal. The issue is we're seeing uh, it's so far it's been predominantly in children, uh, males, females, 50-50, depending on which one you listen to, which study you listen to. Um, Mostly kids that have had some kind of allergies or some kind of uh, asthma, some kind of wheezing history, those are the kids that tend to be hitting worse. Those ones that tend to end up in the hospital. You know, you and me get exposed to this, I might have the sniffles for a day, press out with life, no big deal. But you get a kid that's immune compromised, you've got somebody who's, you know, on chronic steroids for their lung disease or whatever, those are the guys that we're worrying about. And the vast majority of the folks that are ending up hospitalized are those that have an underlying respiratory or immune disorder. Um, you know, I think the youngest one was six weeks, the oldest one was 16 years, uh, are the big cases that the CDC is talking about now. Uh, and that's kind of where this one usually goes. It just seems to be a little bit more robust this year. Um, there's certainly plenty of, uh, of tinfoil hat thinkers out there that think that either the government imported it on purposes on purpose, it imported it on accident, um, or that this is, you know, weaponized diarrhea. I don't know if <laughs> this is the case. I think it's just, um, you know, the natural progression. We started changing. We started letting down our guard on some things, uh, basic health care kind of stuff. Uh, and you're going to see this And this is probably not done yet. We're probably going to see this last a little bit longer. Um, They're saying probably mid-November that D68 will either fizzle out or flame up and take over the nation. I'm not sure which. But I'm expecting that D68 to be, you know, wash your hands. The treatment is is the same as Ebola. Fluids, rest, good nutrition. The prevention is the same. Wash your hands, fluids, rest, good nutrition. Take care of your your medical conditions before you start getting close to these things. But, yeah, they're starting to shut down schools, and that's when you start seeing, hey, you know, the self-imposed quarantine, the, you know, the city says your kids can't come to school, so now mom has to stay home. You know, I think it's just a matter of a lot of folks don't want to play that game, so they would rather send all their kids to daycare a little bit sick, um, and that's what's spreading it. So I'm all for, hey, it's time to start taking some sick days, America. Spend some time with your family. Let these things blow over. You know, go out in the woods and go camping. I'm far away from people. Learn some skills. Um you know, rough it for a little bit, you know, improve your immunity, improve your skill set, improve your life, get some clean, fresh air. Um, and I think that would help America as a general rule. But now, especially when we're starting to see these little epidemics pop up.
1: Well, see, in another one, you know, we, we talk about this, and we talk about things firing up, and, you know, you know, of course, Ebola is new to us, but it, its its death rate is very high in, in where it's at. Now, again, because we're we're not a third-world country, you know, when we are healthier and we have better medical care, there's other things that are here that people keep forgetting about. Um,
4: Absolutely.
1: We have bubonic plague. It's never yep. left Colorado. I mean, yep. it's. The, it's last, the last fatality was in Colorado, a little rough from the airport's cabin. Well, now there was just a guy, wasn't it just not long ago, his dog got it and he got it? Yep. I think he survived there, didn't he? I don't know if he survived that, or if he died. I don't remember. But the point is, is that it's there. It's in the fleas in the prairie dogs that are in the fields.
2: Yep, it's endemic in the prairie dog population. Every once all makes that jump. Right,
1: so it's like, okay, it's there, you know, it's there, but it's just, we're not, we're not Africa. So we're right. kind of at a, at a six in one hand, half dozen in the other, in that we need to prepare for this, and, you know, if it goes pandemic, you need to be able to be ready for it. Yep, and I think the biggest one that we see kills more people every year
2: Every year we lose people to flu, you know, pneumonia kind of stuff, because they're not taking care of themselves. I'm a big proponent of a flu shot, not just because I have to get it. Um, it does cause some side effects for some folks, but for the most part it does prevent the flu or at least minimizes the risk to the flu, especially in their higher your higher-risk populations. Your older smokers absolutely should get the flu, the flu shot. If you're a young, healthy person who, you know, stays kind of to themselves and washes your hands, yeah, flu shot's kind of plus minus for you. You know, if you get the flu, you'll probably be okay. But if you're 90 and you live in a nursing home, please get a flu shot. Right. Uh, and I, we're going to see probably in the tens of thousands of people die this year from the flu and pneumonia. Um, but we still pay attention to that one guy that might or might not have died from the bubonic plague this year. You know, so there's that kind of the the known thing that we're used to. The flu, yeah, well, it's just the flu, no big deal. And then the unknown, scary, big stuff. Ebola, one case, you know. Well, um, and, and that's that's because nobody
1: talks about the you know hundreds and th- hundreds of people who've died from the flu. Exactly. You know, but but the what it is, I think what it is 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 the death rate from the flu is very low in comparison compared to Ebola. Right. Huge attack
2: rate, low mortality rate. Right. Right. With Ebola, it's low attack rate, high mortality bingo and that's scary
1: right and I, I think for us I mean I know my daughters I've got older daughters and grandkids and they are freaking out you know it's like I can't I can't watch my kids go through this
2: mhm well I guess now it's time to prepare then huh yep yeah you, know, you can panic all you want it's not going to help you but if you prepare for it you do some appropriate planning you know you can actually prevent yourself from getting Ebola uh, and then you'll be alright and then you can you know help those other people who are still in panic mode pull them back from the edge these are the things you need to know. These are the things you can do to help yourself. Um, and panic is not on the list of things you can do to help yourself.
3: Oh, totally agree. I get that. Uh, I, think, I get yeah, that all the time. It never is. I've, I've covered that. What two or three podcasts that I've done? It's, it the panic is the worst thing you
1: can do. And and being being pre- preppers like we are, I think that is one of the best things that we can do because the person who is not prepared panics the person who is prepared goes go get this go get that bring me this and I got a plan right. we're already set we're you know and it's a military thing for most of us mm-hmm. and we, we've been teaching it to people who are not military people and you know and it just when you've got all of the stuff prepared and we train with it all the time so we're aware of it sometimes you know Dave will do it to me I'll go like man what am I going to do with this and Dave's like dude do, do this I'm like duh I've got all this stuff, but I've just forgotten about some of the stuff that I've got, you know, or some of the training that we've had. And I'm like, okay, I'm done being stupid now. I'll go back to getting this stuff done. Yeah,
2: we were talking about proper prior planning prevents poor performance.
3: I have another acronym for that, but, yeah, that works. Go ahead and go it, Go ahead and go That's what I'm nice to use. <laughs> I use piss-poor planning produces piss-poor performance. That's what
1: I've always said. And then mine is always, you know, piss-poor planning on your part does not per- – <laughs> does not preclude a, an emergency on my part. Bingo. And, yeah. and that—that's with this, with this thing with Ebola, I've got a lot of people who have been suddenly hitting the group, which is good. And we're getting a lot of activity, and a lot of people are being interactive, and they're asking questions. Yeah. But then again, I've got people that I actually know personally. They're like, man, if this gets bad, you know, I'm coming to your house. Want to bet? All right. You know, this, is, this is why you don't know where I live. That's right. <laughs> you know, because, no, you're not. No, you you need to get your stuff in order at your house before you ever come to mine.
2: Well, I think that's, that's something that the good guys need to think about. I, I'd like to consider myself one of the good guys, and you guys too. Obviously, that's why we're talking. The good guys who are are able to see this stuff coming, we don't have to panic. You know, one of the things that we're always taught is when you come up an emergency scene, a trauma case, whatever, take your own pulse first. Once you've got yourself put together, you know, now you can help other people. And so, but that's an option that we have is to help other people. But when they start showing up at our door and cre- bringing the panic to my doorstep, well, that's some of the other preps that I keep, sometimes in a safe. Right. Right. Again, take my own pulse first, explain calmly the situation. You have approached my door. You're bringing this threat to my door, threatening my family. You know, you're about to be introduced to that, you know, 5P acronym in a bad way, dude. Right. Right. So, yeah, we take our pulse, we help where we can, when we want to. You know, if you show up and you are somebody I want to help, it's a different conversation than if you show up and demand that I give you my 3M mask and my nitrile gloves and, you know, my defense tool of choice. Yeah, Pittsburgh planning on your part does not make an emergency on mine. Exactly. And if you yeah. bring an emergency to my door,
1: I plan for that, too. And, and see, I, I think this is something that's unique with, I think, with us and with Bob is that um we don't make a dime on this mm-hmm. we are out there trying to spread the word, educate people um and now I know bob Bob you know does make a little bit of money on commissions mm-hmm. from Amazon or whatever. I want to say ninety percent of that goes to his his all of his costs for internet and all of his all of his, his site serve, costs, yeah, yeah servers and whatever, so yeah, we're not making any money on this um. So this is not a money-making thing. Right. I know that some of the podcasts do have sponsors, and they do do this and make money. But, but I don't
2: fault them for that. Hey, no, make a living by helping people. I get
1: it. Oh, yeah, and that's fine. But, I mean, it's like us. We've, we've never really done this for money. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just now started, start finally started breaking even even on our classes and stuff. But it's like you. I mean, you're out there. You're putting yourself at risk because depending on how the you know political view is of this. Yep. You know, just you talking, you know, and you're it's like to travel here in the future. Yeah. So it's like, you know
2: we're all trying to help. If I do get the chance to do some travel, the next podcast will be very interesting, but also possibly censored. <laughs>
1: so it could be local. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that could be cool because uh yeah, we're out in a really unique area. I mean, you know, Bob's not far, um Jack's not far We've got all kinds of people, and we've got, we've got some very interesting people for you to meet if you get out here.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, I've talked to some of the folks that I work with, and they've told me, and one of them has been a friend of mine since probably 06, and she said, you know, if I've got a choice of where they deploy me, um, this is before Dallas was on the option of places to get deployed, she would rather be deployed to West Africa because we know what to do with Ebola. We know how to prevent it. We know how to stop it. It's not super politically affiliated and charged one way or the other the conspiracy theories are pretty limited when it comes to ebola she says i will take ebola over isis any day yeah, right. so you know and, and she's a girl so many yeah. girls want to go find ebola and she knows what she's doing too and that kind of means you know it's not false bravado she knows what she's getting into and she's like yeah let's go deal with ebola please don't send me to isis because it's a completely different scenario it's a completely different deployment Right. When well, I mean, the ROEs over there, you're so cuffed, you can't even fight. When you get to Ebola territory, you know, cuffs are off,
1: gloves are on, let's go. Yeah, it's like, don't die and help as many people as you can.
2: Bingo. And I can get behind those ROEs. Right. Yep. One other uh, quick conspiracy theory that I'm seeing pop up here and there about Ebola that I think needs to be put to bed um, is the aerosolization of Ebola. Yeah, we... No, no, no. There, we've got two sides on that
1: one. Okay. Let me, let me throw you ours. Okay, okay. one... Is we understand it's not it's not it's not airborne. Okay? Or we or we think it's not from what we're understanding. Okay. okay. The the flip side of that, because we've argued both sides, it's not airborne unless you've been in an airplane for twelve hours. <laughs> so tell us what tell us what your take is. So it can be airborne <coughs> um but as far as we've been able to see so far
2: what makes it an airborne risk is the medical procedures. So when we're innovating somebody, we're putting a tube in their throat to help them breathe. When we're doing a, a bronchoscopy or bronchiectomy, when we're going down with tubes into their lungs to get pieces of tissue for biopsy, or we're, we're looking around inside their lungs, that's when it becomes aerosolized. But that's locally aerosolized right there in the procedure area. Um, so technically, yes, aerosolized if you're a physician putting a tube into the guy's lungs. Absolutely. That explains it. But even then, you're still talking large droplet aerosolization, so it's not going to go very far. Um, if you're in an airplane and you've got a lot of people sneezing, uh, the air is recirculated. They do bring fresh air in. They call it bleed air because it's being bled off of the engines, and so the air is being recirculated. Um, uh, WHO and ICAO, the International Something Airline Organization, run a blank on the sea, It's probably French. Um, the ICAO guys, they have a lot of rules, um, and the FAA endorses them and has some more strict rules for the U.S. on how much air, how frequently it has to circulate, um, how much fresh air has to be brought in. Um, and so for the most part, for your large droplet things like tuberculosis, if you're flying you know, from, from Dallas to D.C. or from D.C. to Dallas, as the case may be, um, I'm not concerned about a two- or three-hour flight. Uh, with a large droplet thing like Ebola, TB. If I'm going transcontinental and they're flying me by Kuwait Airlines down to um, Iraq, uh, then you're more likely to get a significant exposure. It's not an American carrier. It's a much longer duration of flight, uh, and their medical standards are on paper potentially the same, but enforcement is very different. Right. So there's, there's a lot of pieces that go into it. You can't say every air flight is risky. You're honestly more likely to walk away from a flight with a cold, a flu, a rhinovirus, you know, or D68. And you may never know because you just had the sniffles for a day um, than you are to get Ebola. I've got a question for you. If you wear a mask on the plane, some folks might
1: look at you and call you paranoid. But you know what? When you get off the plane and you take your mask off and you're not coughing, what's up? Yeah. Now, I've got one for you. I oh. This... We got into something here a few years ago and it was called colloidal silver. Yep. Where you silver infuse, basically distilled water. But something that came up and it was a conversation we'd had and it was why is it that whenever they do uh, a catheter all the catheters are silver lined? Because, what is it, silver is an antimicrobial? Absolutely. Okay, so... Somebody else had brought it up, well, they've got filters, air filters, that are silver-lined or silver-flaked.
2: And actually, in the military, our socks are silver-impregnated as well now. At really? The issued ones from military clothing and sales, the socks are silver-impregnated for our ABUs because they reduce the fungus and the bacterial issues that go with that. Okay. And having said that, silver works great as an antimicrobial on surfaces, Um, the, in my opinion, the data is still out, but leaning towards not so great for inside the body. Um, you're going to find a lot of, you're going to find a lot of docs that say silver has no purpose in the body. You guys are crazy. You're going to find a handful of docs, a lot of naturopathic, uh, individuals, homeopathic individuals that say absolutely colloidal silver should be every day. Um. I'm the guy that says the data is not great for it. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence that says colloidal silver is good. We are starting to see in America a rise of a condition called argyrism, where folks are overdoing it on colloidal silver. Right, I, we've um, heard about that. Yeah, and so folks are turning blue, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> their liver's blue, too. It's kind of that, that metallic blue color. Um, and so funny on the lips, deadly uh, on the liver. So... Um, And what's the recommended dose of colloidal silver? It's whatever the guy who sold it to you says. You know, and how much is actually in there. It's not regulated, which is kind of some pluses and minuses. You don't know what you're getting. Um, You may be getting a thousand times what you think you're getting. You may be getting nothing. So the colloidal silver market hasn't, hasn't gotten to where I want it to be. I'd like to have some really good evidence, some really good studies, some really good products that I can say, this is great. But right now I think we're still in the Uh, You know, middle ages medicine. You know, honey, silver, leeches. Okay, well now modern medicine is okay with honey again. We're back to leeches because surgical leeches are awesome for a lot of things. But we're still not back there on silver yet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out on that. If you're pro colloidal silver, I would say take it take it easy. Um, Tend towards the lower side of the doses. Maybe not every day, but just when you're starting to feel something come on. Um, But I'm not a I'm not an anti silver guy. In fact, I just got some silver. Um, from my jam
1: bullion guys yesterday. So. <laughs> now, we've we we had a, we've got a buddy, and he got us into colloidal silver, and we were making it, and I've got gallons and gallons of it. There you go. But the colloidal silver's downside was, of course, it was not, overdoses were bad for you, and you turned blue, and you looked like you needed to be on another planet. Right. Okay, so then somebody else had brought up thieves' oil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually got a video on on our on our uh, YouTube page where I, I cut my hand open and to one to deaden it and to disinfect it we use Thieves Oil and to this day I have to really actually show you where the scar is for you to see it yep um, Thieves Wildcraft is big on it too right right and the thing with Thieves Oil is or with all essential oils from, from what I've been shown and, and you know instructed on is that most essential oils dissipate out of your body within eight hours right most of them right and there are there are no real side effects like you don't turn
2: blue right and so and that's generally because it's it's topical right the way you're using it
1: well Here. things all you can use a topical you can also use an internal i mean right. two drops of this i've got a mix that i make for <laughs> when i've got a head cold or whatever and i call it shoe factory because uh-huh. that's what it tastes like but <laughs> nice. two drops i mean two drops of this and your head's clear in like 30 seconds, and you can sleep. Because what I found is that if you've got a head cold and you don't sleep, you're not getting better. Exactly right. But but if you've got a head cold and you can get you know six hours of sleep, you'll get better quicker. It change your world. Right, right. And and it just it's it's got it's got tea tree oil in it and it's got eucalyptus in it and it tastes horrible. Mm-hmm.
2: But then again, so does Robitussin. Valid. No, yeah, that's true. So. And, and eucalyptus has long been used. You know, it's one of those those travel medicines that's been around for a long time. And I'm a big fan of eucalyptus for opening up, you know, the breathing and everything. And um, a lot of the, the the issue with essential oils is, again, you know, I've never been a member of the AMA, and they wouldn't have me anyway, and I'm okay with that. Um, we, the good data on it is just not there because there's so much variability in the the concoctions that are, are called thieves' oil. And a lot of the essential oils you know some of them are oil based and some of them are alcohol based uh and the question that that comes up when you when you start to look at the no kidding data is is it the concoction altogether that's making a difference or is it the you know olive oil was one of our old medical therapies for a lot of things right you know straight alcohol is a great medical therapy for a lot of things it's a great disinfectant um it's it's good for a lot of medical conditions so you know we start looking at Is it the concoction altogether that's doing it? Is it one of the ingredients? If it's just one of the ingredients, which one? um, You know, is this a synergistic thing that some of the parts is better than, you know? uh, And so I don't know. But what I do know is if it's working and you're you're a young, healthy person and it's not jacking with everything else, go for it. It's not hurting me. Uh, You've got the choice. You've made some informed decisions. You know, I I need to get more into essential oils, and I've come to terms with that recently. Um, but trying to find the right person to teach you Who's not off in La La Land is sometimes tricky
1: Yeah, see We did, out here we did a training class On essential oils And we had a girl who was a uh, She was a dealer For an essential <laughs> oil brand I don't I don't represent any brand But I was always shown They're like, well, you know, you can get all your different brands But this brand is very consistent And this and that mm-hmm. of course, the girl who came into the class, she was really good um, she brought in a couple of things that I hadn't dealt with but she was also very brand oriented and I'm like I happen to like the now brand they've been around for a long time they're very consistent and really I think that's the problem with essential oils is that this brand distills this way and their potency per three drops is this where this guy is different
2: and it's it's not tip for tat exactly you know, so, but when I say this guy needs to take Tylenol, you know, I know generally what he's getting. Right. So that's, I want to get behind colloidal silver, I want to get behind essential oils, but the marketers, um, there's some, some goofy guys in the business, there's some folks that are super brand focused, and there's some, some straight up guys that are, are, are doing wrong and they're selling the snake oil and they know it. Um, yeah. And it's, just, it's, it's hard to find the good guy sometimes
1: yeah yeah I and mean, to me it's all about just finding the recipe finding a brand you like that you that's consistent that you like, and then just manipulate your recipe according to what works and doesn't work and what you have to do really in my eyes, just from what I know of essential oils is you have to break down each oil specifically into what it does when you make a blend you have to make the blends that one work with each other and then try to balance them because my recipes are like 100 drops of these four oils and 50 drops of these four oils and, and then you have to add some cut oil, what I call cut oil which would be your, uh, your olive oil, I happen to like grapeseed oil sure. but you know, but again and, and some of these things you have to be careful with because like cinnamon is hot it's considered yeah. a hot oil, it'll burn <laughs> you you know, so you, you cut them and you cut them down with again, olive oil or whatever I've used them for all kinds of stuff yeah, I'll have to take your course next time I'm down there. yeah, I mean, I, what I probably need to do is do some videos on on some of the more more essential oil classes and set some of that stuff up. but and this is just stuff we do for free, but well, we appreciate it. I mean, have you got anything else that you you know when we're talking about Ebola and of course, you brought up that there's other things that are you know we should look at even worse than Ebola, have you yeah. got anything else you want to bring up that you, that we've missed so far? I think my last big point is for those that have uh, tinfoil hats, I, I recommend copper colanders, just my personal preference with a chin strap. Um,
2: the discussion of whether or not Ebola is a government weaponized uh, infection designed to do something. Um, from the standpoint, I used to work uh, in nuclear security, and so I got involved in a lot of the anti terror stuff. This was a long time ago, back when they let me blow stuff up and get away with it. And. There are certain things that the government looks for, and this is not this was you know a lot of Cold War thinking. The U.S. and Russia. There were certain things that we looked for. We were going to weaponize uh, an agent, and one of the things we wanted it to do is we wanted it to spread easily, we wanted it to spread quickly, and we wanted it to kill people, preferably quickly. Um, Ebola doesn't spread easily. Uh, it has a low infectivity rate, and it doesn't kill people quickly. So. Uh, If the government were to weaponize something, Ebola would be interesting, good for studying, and I'm sure the government has studied Ebola as a potential weapon, but it doesn't do what we want it to do. Um, There are much better uh, weapons out there uh, from a biological standpoint. So for those folks that are concerned that this might be the government uh, trying to get you, this wouldn't be one of their top seven. There are seven that are much better. Right. Okay. So now we can take off our calendars or tinfoil hats. Uh, now, I think that one, in my mind, is, is put to bed, but obviously I, if there's stuff on that pops up on the todaysurvival.com uh, forms, I'll, I'll certainly answer those when they pop up. There you go. All right, we well, appreciate
1: it, Doc. I mean, and again, uh, everybody go out to Amazon and buy your N95 masks and your gloves uh, through Bob's website. Uh, we appreciate it, and... Uh, We hope this is, you know, kind of shed a little bit of light on some stuff. I think we've bounced around quite a bit on this. Absolutely. And and to uh, Bob, who has uh, had his surgery and is cancer-free, and they have actually physically thrown him out of the hospital, probably for making a scene. I'm
3: I'm still disappointed with the selfie you took when he was getting (laughs) out. He wasn't wearing a Green Bay Packers hat. I had, I had to point Gosh. that out to him.
1: That's Stash, going on. Come on. <laughs> okay, Doc, well, we appreciate it, and we'll sign off here, and we'll send this over to Bob, we'll see where we go with it.
2: Great. Congratulations on 250 episodes, Bob. Uh, thanks for the work you guys do. Uh, Super Joe and Mexican Dave, was it? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Take care. All right,
0: thank you. Okay, thank you guys. I very much appreciate these guys putting their time together. I don't even ask them to do this. They just do this on their own to help me out. And I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. Gentlemen, thanks very much for donating your time. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, most of you know I don't run a bunch of commercials on this show and I don't have paid sponsors. Um, It's always kind of irritated me when I listen to a podcast. If it's not a bona fide radio show, It's just a regular podcast, and they're running tons and tons of commercials. It's just always kind of irritating to me. So my show is supported by generous listeners like you. One way you can do it to continue to listen to commercial-free podcasts like I put out, you can go to my Amazon store, and whenever you want to make an Amazon purchase, use my link. I have an Amazon affiliate program. Just go to todayssurvival.com. There's two S's in that web address, www.todayssurvival.com. Click the Amazon store page and bookmark that link. Bookmark or save the link that's on that page for my Amazon store. Make your Amazon purchases through my link and I will get a fee. Uh, Excuse me, not a fee. I'll get a commission from Amazon. A small one. It's not much. Boy, it's not very much at all. But every little bit helps. There are uh, costs that are incurred for this show. That would be very helpful. You also might want to consider my Survival Champions Club podcasts. These are customized podcasts with unique information that I've never put out on this show before. If you click the Survival Champions Club link on my website, you can see what those are about, and you can see how to purchase those on my website as well, www.todayssurvival.com. You want to email me, bob at survivalcom and if you want to voicemail me, 210-646-1727. That's 210-646-1727. Twenty-seven. With all that said, thank you for listening to this 250th episode of today's survival show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Remember, this is a no foil hat. Common sense. Self-reliance program. I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.